Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Today, we're joined by a dual premiership spearhead and a West Coast great. Peter Sumich was the Eagles' leading goal kicker on seven occasions. A strong marking talisman in the powerful Eagles sides of the early to mid-1990s, even if the left-footer's radar could sometimes be a little wayward. He played with, against, and was coached by some of the best in the game's history. Summer, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good to be here. And where do we find you at the moment? Oh, look, just in uh, WA uh, at the family business um, in Mandogala. It's a long long word, I suppose, but a simple word in a way. But, um, yeah, we've got 100 acres here and we're uh, farming, uh, exporting celery and, and the cabbage and the like, so, which I've done all my life anyway. It's what I've grown up with, barring uh, when I had a bit of a stint with the uh, coaching side of things. Yeah, so just on that, am I right in saying at the moment, Peter, that you're completely, I know you're doing some media work, but you're completely out of football at the moment? Yeah, I am. I am. I've um, I finished up with the 18s um, last year and had four years there. And look, they wanted me to go full time and um, I, I didn't want to do that. Um, I didn't think it was a full time job anyway. So um, I thought I'd move on and have a year off and um, join the media sector and, you know, I'm really enjoying it actually. And then uh, I'll weigh things up at uh, the end of the year and see what happens. Wait till the soft cap yeah. money comes back yeah. in. <laughs> wise, <laughs> to wise, wise choice indeed. So your playing career, obviously highly decorated, as I mentioned, 11 years, started and finished at South Fremantle in, in between some fantastic years, obviously, at West Coast. But you coached South Fremantle after retirement. You had nine years as an assistant under your old captain, John Walsfold, at the Eagles. You had, I think, half a dozen years as an assistant under Ross Lyon at Fremantle. Did it burn you out, Summer? Had the fun gone out of it from the assistant coaching side of things? Uh, yeah, at the end it did. It, it was tough. Um, and, and look, um, Ross Lyon's one of the, the, the best coaches, I, I reckon, going around. and But he's uh, a tough taskmaster he um makes sure that the assistants are working and 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 which which i would do the same thing too um but yeah just got you know we all got probably burnt out at the end you know like i said i I had roughly 15 years in the caper and it was a long toil um and yeah i just thought that that's enough and um move on to the next sector and I missed out on a couple of jobs, which I was very close to. Um, and But at the end of the day, it's uh, 
right place, right time for a lot of people, and, and unfortunately, I didn't get that. Yeah. Well, some of those jobs. So was it one at Essendon to replace Kevin Sheedy, I think? Yeah, well, that was probably the closest I, I, I really did get to getting a job. Um, I, I really interviewed well, and I think the board were looking at someone different. And, and I know for a fact Trevor Nisbet rang me, who was a CEO of the, the Eagles back then, and, and said that he had confirmation that at this stage it looks like I've got the job. They just had to um, do a quick interview with Matthew Knight. Um, who was coaching the reserve, so they, out of respect. And and then they just, you know, flipped the coin. Um, Matthew must have said a few things uh, to them to really impress them, and they just flipped the coin on it, um, and that was it. But, I, I, you know, I was very, very close to getting that. And, of course, the West Coast job, mm. which, um, you know, I, I thought I had, but uh, at the end of the day, West Coast probably wanted to go away from a, a West Coast person. And they veered off onto Adam Simpson, which, uh, you know, he's done a great job. So, uh, with all that in mind, then, Summer, does the AFL coaching flame just still flicker? Or, as you say, in the sliding doors chapters in life, do you accept that it just hasn't worked out for a variety of reasons? Um, it still flickers, but I, I, I think it'll be a, a, a long shot if anything happens. Um, so, you know, I've still got an ambition to. Maybe even coach at the lower level again. I, I coached at South Fremantle and, and was probably unfortunate. I, I lost the grand final in my second year to Tony McCarroll at the um, Alignment Club uh, West Coast with East Perth. And then I went to West Coast after that under John Warshall. So I, I probably didn't um, have enough time to, to finish the business. So that's always been in the back of my mind, mm. winning a waffle premiership. But... Um, yeah, it, look, the right job comes up in the AFL going forward. You never know. You're never going to say no. Um, and I know I'd have to get back into probably a senior assistance role first. And then, um, you know, if it's the right one and, and something that you know is going to take you to a senior job, well, you, you know, you'd seriously look at it. As an Eagles great, your move to the Dockers as an assistant was naturally a big deal in Perth. I believe the term, you know, quote-unquote, shock move might have got a fair run in the papers at the time, but you were shocked too, weren't you? Because you were actually going there initially to work under Mark Harvey. Yeah, look, I, I was, and I, I thought I'd leave West Coast at the right time. You know, we, we were in the doldrums there for a little while, and and don't worry, me and John Warsfold were threatened uh, by Trevor Nisbet, um, in that year, I think it was 2010 when we finished fourth um, that year, and we finished wooden spooners the year before. And and Trevor said to both of us, got us in and said, "All right, boys, this is it. You either do well or see you later." The end of the year, so we we were told that, and um, you know we finished fourth. John got another contract. Um, I was about to sign, and then I thought to myself, "Well, it's best to get out when you're on the up." And, and, and I think I've done the right thing by the club. So that's when I got out. Spoke to Fremantle, Chris Bond, and, yeah, Mark Harvey. I was I thought, well, going under Mark Harvey, looking forward to that challenge. And, you know, I heard good things about Mark. And, and I think he's a very similar bloke to me, easy going, And he's a ripping bloke. And next thing you know, uh, I, I agreed to everything. And next thing you know, he got the, uh, the flick. And I went, oh, geez, what's going on here? I didn't know where it was all going. And... Fortunately for me, um, um, Ross Lyon took me on. How'd you find Ross? Yeah, like, like I said, he, he was a tough taskmaster for everyone, um, assistance-wise, player-wise, 
in the sense he, he he always challenged you to get the best out of yourself. Mm. So, and that that was a good thing. And and look, he did really well at Fremantle. Um, took us um, to a grand final. Unfortunately, uh, weren't good enough on the day. But you know, he he got the club there. He really got the club going. Um, he, he's not everyone's cup of tea, and I think he knows that. And um, a lot of people understand that. But what he does do, he gets results. So um, he he ticks a lot of boxes. Um, and hopefully one day you, you'd think he'd get back into the uh, the system somehow as a senior coach because, like I said, he ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of clubs to to get them going forward pretty quickly. And as a player, Peter, you had two coaches, John Todd, obviously, when you first got there, and Mick Malthouse for the vast majority of your career. How do you look back on them and their influence on your journey, and, and what, what was different about them? Oh, look, I, I – um, and, and people always – cringe a little bit. I, I've always said Toddy was the best coach I've ever had and 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 look not nothing against Mick. Mick Mick was unbelievable and I still rate Mick very highly and just, just below Toddy. But Toddy taught me a lot as a real young bloke, um, and how to handle, you know, certain situations and you know, he, he played me centre half back, full back in my first eleven games for the Eagles. And and look, I, I got smashed by blokes like Raritan and <laughs> Stewie Lowe and Kernahan. I was playing on those bikes when I first got into the system, and and he he just says I'm going to leave you there. He said as long as you learn how to play forward, and and I I just didn't get it, but then I got it afterwards. And he said just keep looking and and learning the way they operate, the way they play these players, and and that's what I did. And then halfway through the season, I went to full forward and kicked 45 goals, and it was just the best thing you know, learning tool for me. So mm. he was unbelievable. He got our side really together. He got rid of a lot of, if you, excuse my French, riffraff in the sense that blokes that didn't really want to toe the line. He got rid of a lot of those blokes and brought in young players like myself. as John Warsford, Guy McKenna, Don Pike, Scott Waters, Craig Turley. We were all young and he, he, he played us and we weren't ready to, to mix it with the best at the VFL um, back then, slash AFL. And, and he got the group together, and then uh, he got the flick, and then Mick come in and, and just, you know, really put a nice uh, touch to the side and understanding the way to win in Victoria. That that was the biggest thing Mick thought. Yeah, he's remembered to, for adding that, isn't he? Almost that steal for the Eagles to win in Melbourne, and he was a powerful motivator. We know that. I, I wanted to ask you about 1990 as well, and this is so incredible to think now, Summer, but your Eagles made five five straight trips to Melbourne. The last round was in Geelong, so you get a bus down there. Then you had four finals in a row at Waverley with buses out there, which is ridiculous, and we'll, we'll come back to this later. But I, I raise it now yeah. in, in relation to Mick because – Am I right in saying after Essendon thrashed you in that year's prelim, he he joined you in the rooms post game, and he he was quite emotional, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, and and look, he he was he was a tough man. Like he he was really a, a great motivator for us. And 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 look, he got this stage where we would run through brick walls for him, and the way he motivated us, I, I just shook the head and I just said, get me out there, you know, the, after his last speech before you run out. It was unbelievable. And, yeah, we had those five trips away and, and with the drawn final, of course, and he, at the end of the Essendon game, we were gone. We, we were just spent. I think we lost by about 10 goals. And he came come in and, and he started 
crying. He, he, he got very emotional, and, and I think we all teared up too. It was just one of those things, and we knew from there we were going to go places. You know, we, we thought we, we, we can win this, uh, whether it's 91, 92, 93, 90, we're a chance to win this, you know, uh, flag if we keep together. So, um, yeah, it was unbelievable uh, after that game. He was obviously combative, though. Mick, do you have any blues with him over the journey? It's a long time to spend with one coach. Yeah, I did. I, I had a a real big Barney with him, and and it probably maybe sat with him and it sat with me a little bit because um, I was always opinionated in the sense that it was all for the side and, I, you know, playing the position of full forward, you know, Mick used to ask me questions and what's going on, you know, because I could see what was going on up the field and I just was always honest in my appraisal of, of the playing group, myself and, and the whole lot. And, yeah, we had a slight run in uh, one game in, uh, I think it was 1990. Yeah, 91, sorry, 91. Uh, I, I actually kicked six points that day. So there you go. Uh, it was against Sydney at Subi. And I, and I just said to Mick asked, me, we won the game only by a couple of goals and we should have won by more. And he, he said, well, what do you think, Sumar? What do you think about what's going on here? And, you know, we should have won by... And I said, well, we've got big heads in the side, Mick. When we play at home, we've got players that just want to, you know, do things for the crowd and, and because we're at home. But when we play away, we play as a team. I said, because everyone knuckles down. I said, so, you know, too many players when we play at home are big heads. And I says, oh, I, you know, I reckon we've got to stamp that out. And he goes, oh, look. And, you know, he had a bit of a go at me and he pulled me into his office and then he start, he tore strips off me about a couple of things. And, and I went back at him and, you know, it, it was a little bit uneasy, unsettling there for a little while. But that, that was good. We were fine after that. But it was a good conversation to have because then it really steeled the group together because we were very open as a group. But don't worry, we, we didn't miss each other if uh, players didn't toe the line. Yeah. In your old captain, as I said earlier, Woosha, was seen to be very mild-mannered as a coach. But wasn't there a game at the Gabba in the early 2000s, perhaps, when he was particularly unhappy at the physical treatment being dished out? You know, that was a, a Michael Voss-led midfield at the time. And you had a couple of whippersnappers coming on in uh, Chris Judd and Daniel Kerr. You got some good information. <laughs> You're on the money. Like, he... he um. He got rolled up, yeah, we had uh, Judd and Kerr, not so much Cousins, and, um, yeah, the, the, the midfield of the Brisbane were, were touted and they were going really well and strong, and, and they, they picked a few of our uh, young boys off, especially Curry, and, and Wooshua got a bit ropeable, and he got up out of his chair. I think it was that quarter time. He said, oh, I'm, I'm going to smash someone. And I, I said, where are you going? He goes, no, nah, no, nah, I've had enough. That's it. This is not on. You know, if they're going to smash our kids, I'm going to smash one of theirs. And I was, <laughs> I said, you can't say that, Johnny. Anyway, he raced down the stairs, and I was chasing him, and I'm going, John, pull up, pull up. And then as we were about to go over the fence, Gary O'Donnell was there from Brisbane Assistant. Mm. And he was about to go over the fence, and John, John looked at him and grabbed him and pushed him over the fence. <laughs> and he told him, he said, you don't tell Lee stop your bike's Picking off my young blokes, not on. So you could see Gary go over to the, the huddle and say something to Lee. Lee look, just looked over and started laughing, oh, <laughs> as fantastic. Lee Matthews would. And um, 
you know, that was it. That's all that happened. But um, poor old Gary O'Donnell, he was in the wrath of John. John grabbed him and pushed him over the fence to, to tell him what's going on. I love it. I love it. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Next, we'll track back over Peter Sumich's fascinating journey to the AFL big time. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with West Coast great Peter Sumich. Suma, tell us about your upbringing. You touched on it earlier, but your father, Laurie, he was a, a market gardener, wasn't he? This was the, the family business? Yeah, look, he, he was been a market gardener all his, all his life. And, um, you know, he built a business with his two brothers, um, Jack and Buddy Sumich, and they had eight acres and they were exporting a, a, a little bit of stuff and then that just grew and, and grew into a, a, a big company, Sumich Group, and next thing you know, they've got all these big gardens. They had uh, over 500 employees and, and probably one of the biggest, um, uh, you know, companies in Australia. Well, if not the biggest um, fruit and veg company in Australia, used to supply Woolworths and Coles here in WA and and then Eastern States as well and, and become very good friends with um, Costa, over there, um, you know, the Costa boys and, and you know, they, they become very, very close. So, um, you know, because they were in the caper as well. Mm. So, uh, yeah, just uh, – and I and I grew up in that. I, I actually left school at the age of uh, seven or 16 and got my licence and, um, you know, at 17 and then I was become a, a buyer, which I used to start at half past two in the morning in the markets and I was even doing that when I was playing AFL football. Yeah, and I had to stop that because I was. Yeah, I, I did it for the first two years. Um, you know, eighty nine, ninety. Getting up at two, getting up at two two thirty during the week and then playing on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, three times a week: Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Up at two, start at two thirty up in the markets, and then uh, finish about two or three in the afternoon. Then head off to training roughly. So Jeez. that that the way I was brought up, and um, you know, I just did it, but I got. You know, the second year in and that, I, I went to Dad. I said, oh, geez, Dad, this is pretty tough as I'm you know, playing footy here, training. So he goes, oh, OK, all right, we'll, we'll give the market stuff and this. You can start at 5 o'clock. Said, oh, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> so, you know, I, um, yeah, but I, I just continued on and I love working with the family business. And, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, Nick Tarner now has bought the family business out, but the Sumich uh, name is still going around. He especially with the export and carrots and that. And you'll probably see some over in Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane. We, we still send a lot of stuff over there. Oh, I love it. It'll be a great workplace, work site to hang around as a, a little tacker as well. And just for you, sporting-wise, I mean, footy wasn't your first sporting love, was it? No, look, um, soccer. I played soccer when till I was about 12, and I really enjoyed that, and, and played cricket as well. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love my soccer, uh, soccer, sorry, and that's where I got my hook from. <laughs> I used to take a lot of corners and then, uh, you know, try and kill the ball in. So that's uh, basically where I got my hook from with my left foot. But, uh, yeah, played soccer and then uh, went over to, to footy at the age of 12. Um, and then in the meantime, through the summer, was playing cricket, of course. 
Yeah, now there's no room for modesty here on Sporting Life, unfortunately, Sulmany. You had some real cricket talent. Uh, Fremantle Cricket Club's where you you came through the ranks. Your first A-grade game, before we get to you, actually, you, you had a captain uh, who turned out to have a pretty reasonable future in the game. Jeff Marsh. That was him? Yeah, he was... Um, yeah, I, I was very lucky. Yeah, we had a good side back then, Jeff Marsh, Ken McClay, um, even Graham Wood played at Fremantle, but he, he had left just a year or two before I um, came up to play first grade, and he went to Melville. And, of course, um, uh, Jeff only lasted probably a year with us, and then the, he started playing test cricket in the one-dayers back then. So he was off to, to um, you know do his job with Australia. But, um, yeah, I, I just loved cricket. Cricket was... Uh, my old man always... Reckons I, I should have played cricket instead of football. Yeah, right. Um, that's yeah. He was big on that. He he still to today reckons would have been interesting to see. He says, oh, I reckon you would have been a better cricketer than a footballer. And I said, well, I was pretty happy with my football career, Dad. <laughs> I, said, I, I did okay. And he goes, oh yeah, but he, he said, yeah, your cricket. You know, I showed a lot of potential at cricket. Uh, I was a left arm orthodox spinner, so yeah, yeah, went away with the Australian 19s and. Um, toured uh, New Zealand for six or seven weeks and it was just before the Warney era so I was about three or four years before Warn um, came in and I think Peter Taylor was playing and and so they had me earmarked for maybe to take over um, in that that bracket there so um, when I traveled away with the 19s. So, so why didn't you? I mean, the decision we see a lot of talented junior sportsmen and sportswomen face, I mean, how hard was it for you when it came to, to the choice, so to speak, between cricket and, and your love for your growing love for footy at the time? Yeah, it was tough because, um, you know, I love both, both sporting uh, identities. It, it, it just was one of those things, I had to make a choice. And, and I, I suppose... Uh, I, I did it off the back that I really wanted to play for South Fremantle League because I used to watch Stephen Michaels, Morris Rioli when I was a kid and and I, I just loved the red and white. And then to see those two run around with a number of others, Joe McKay and Noel Carter, who was at Richmond earlier, and he came over and played at South, and Basil Campbell and Nicky Wimmer was playing, Michael Cockey. It was an unbelievable side, and I, yeah. I, I loved it. And that probably just turned me to play football. Um, because I just thought I want to play for South Fremantle and play league football, and I did that. And then once I achieved that, I, I went on to better things to get an opportunity at the Eagles. Yep, so you got your dream. You started at South Frio 86. You won the goal-kicking there in 88 before West Coast ended up getting you with a, a pre-draft selection back in the day. So you were clearly rated highly enough to be given the, the number four, which was, of course, the jumper of the foundation skipper in Ross Glendening. Yeah, yeah. Look, he he retired that the year before. And look, I was very close to going to North Melbourne. I don't think uh, people know. I I was I agreed to terms with North, um, the contract, the whole lot. Yeah. Um, and Ron Joseph was uh, flying over on the Wednesday uh, for me to sign the contract. And then I ran, uh, woke up on the Monday and I said to Dad, I, I want to stay home. I said, I. I want to go to Melbourne and West Coast were into me and I, I'd knocked them back and, but they had two uh, pre-picks uh, before the draft. So um, I was always going to go there. I think North had pick two. So I was going to go pick two yep. to North and then, um, yeah, I reneged on that and uh, went to the West Coast. And then prior to that, understand Magro, I flew over to 
Collingwood uh, the end of 87 um, and stayed there for a, a week with Dennis Banks and and Darren Mullane and, and the boys. And, uh, yeah. you know, I was uh, Gubby Allen took care of me and I was going to go to Collingwood because they were on the bottom. So they were thinking, no, but they actually had an okay year in 88. So they couldn't get me. And that's why I was going to go to North. Well, you commit to the Eagles. And as you said off the, the top under John Todd, you started back in your first season or the first part of it. But then when you swung back forward, Summer, you kick eight goals, two against the Dogs at the Wacker in your ninth game, which was a, a then club record, if you don't mind. It clearly didn't take you too long to settle in at the level. No, I, I just, well, we, especially the Wacker. The Wacker was an unbelievable um, ground for the West Coast uh, team. We seemed to play really well there. Even though we didn't have a great team back in 89, um, we still, you know, um, got going, especially at the Wacker. It was, a, it was a good ground to play on. It, the ball moved quick and it probably suited me because I was, you know, young and enthusiastic and, and, and moved quite well. So if the, the ball ever hit the ground, I, I swooped on it and... Uh, yeah, I was lucky to kick eight that, that night. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Just jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back with former Eagle star Peter Sumich after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with West Coast goal machine Peter Sumich. Summer, your side make their run in 1990, the West Coast. You have a tremendous season personally. You kick 90 goals. But I suspect you'd have traded all of them back to see your post-siren shot go through against Collingwood, of course. That is famous drawn qualifying final. You wouldn't have talked about this too often over the years. Yeah, I, I have a fair bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was just one of those things. It was a, you know, we weren't expected to even get close to Collingwood. Um, you know, if you're talking odds, we would have probably been three or four to one and Mm. Collingwood odds on favourites to beat us and, and we just played really well that day and if anything we should have never got in that position um, you know we should have probably been a couple of goals up uh, at the finish but you know when you've got a Peter Dacos running around and, and kicking goals like he did at the end of uh, the last quarter uh, it was a tough um, tough gig for us but uh, yeah look I, I I look at that kick or, or remember it and I think to myself I would have done a check side kick uh, if I had it over a game. But I looked at the scoreboard knowing we were one point down. I thought, geez, if I do a check side and I don't get it right, I'll probably go out in the full. Mm. So, so I play safe and, and knowing that I'm a certainty to kick a point with a drop punt and and a really good chance to still kick the goal. And and, and it just virtually went over the top of the goalpost um, just to the, 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 the right-hand side of it. But, um, you know, it was it was just over the goalpost. And we touched on that run of interstate games that year in 1990. Your last five of them with that draw, obviously the last home and away game in the season against Geelong. You're over to Melbourne five times in a row with buses from airports and such. The, the travel, I mean, how hard was it, uh, Peter? Because we on the Eastern Seaboard, we probably got a greater appreciation of it now. But can you give us an insight? I mean, it must have been enormously difficult to win games consistently and obviously to win premierships when you're travelling every second week like that. Oh, yeah, it, it was. And, and we didn't have any... You know, we were sitting on planes and, 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 
you know, every, everyone now drinks water and all that. We we would we we drank water, but we had diet coke, orange <laughs> juice. And, you know, you you you're getting the meal from the the plane. It was um, Qantas back then, and and um, you know, we 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 were just doing what normal blokes would do and eat what whatever came our way, and not understanding any of what they get now and how they do things and the nutrients they get now to 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 play and water and all that we we just i mean, i remember we we had the buffet on a, on <laughs> yeah a, on a you know saturday morning before the game at the hotel load up there was no free meal it was a buffet and then i just loaded up you know i just thought oh i, I better eat here I'm, you know this is free so that's how you thought back then <laughs> not knowing you're playing a game in two or three hours but um yeah that's the way it was back then we didn't know we didn't understand and but as the years went on we we slowly got a hold of it was 91 your best season on a personal level? I mean, 111 goals, but you also kicked, when I had a look at it, you kicked 89 behinds. You've had 200 scoring shots in 25 games somewhere, and that's not counting. I'm assuming there'd be a couple that missed altogether as well. Yeah, look, it, 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 I'll put it up there. I think 92 still is my best year. I, I missed, I think, four or five games and kicked 84 goals and, you know, 18 in finals and, you know, that year and over three games. And I, Look, 91 was unbelievable for me, but the side had an unbelievable... We were on a roll, so I was part of that role, and, and I played, you know, my, my role in, in the side and, and as a full forward. But, geez, we had some players running around. You know, Craig Turley especially, he, yeah. he was outstanding that year. Peter Matera, you had our back line, Djakovic, you know, McKenna, you know, Warsfold, Brennan, McIntosh. So, yeah, we, we were on a roll, but in 92... I had my ups and downs with my injuries, and and I thought I played some really good football um, throughout that season. And I remember, I think one game I, I played at the MCG in '92, I kicked 11 goals nine um, against Essendon, and and I reckon that was my best game ever. Um, you know, I just just everything fell into place. But um, yeah, I think '92 was probably just outweighs '91 marginally. 11-9. I mean, you're kicking in general. I mean, as you said, you kick some bags. 13, 11, some 8s, some 7s. But there are a few games. You mentioned, um, you know, 11 goals, 9. There was a 5-8. I saw a 6-6, six, six, an 8-7. Yeah. Was it mental or mechanical? Are those corners to blame for the for the hook foot? Or is it just as much mental? Can you bring us into the psyche of a of a full forward when it comes to leaning over the ball for these set shots or what? Yeah, it, it, it was more mental. I don't think it was uh, technique um, because everyone's got their own technique and I think it works for majority of the time. So it, it is a mindset, you know, um, and it depends on on the game. I, I was probably a player that, you know, I took it for granted a little bit. You know, if we were up, I, I would be relaxing a little bit more than I probably should have, having shots for goal, and that's probably why I missed. And, if if we needed goals, I, I would knuckle down. I, I was that type of player. I was, you know, because I, I just loved the game and I, I like to be competitive. But if we were winning and knew you were going to win, I, I just probably my mindset was off marginally, and that's probably why I missed. But come finals time and all that, I don't think I missed too many in the finals and 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 important games or an important quarter where we needed goals. I used to knuckle down. So to me, it's always mindset with every player. I, I don't think it's technique. Most players have got a good technique. And even today's uh, game, it, it's mindset. It's pressure of the crowd, pressure of the moment. Fatigue comes into it marginally. But um, mindset plays 
funny. You can go and kick all these goals at training and go, oh, yep, ready to go, and you put 40,000 people in front of you. It's a different mindset, and that, that's what happens. So no one can tell me any different. I've always said it's a mindset thing. You save some of your best work for finals. I mean, no one can dispute you're a big game performer. The 92 grand final, obviously, against the Cats. You kicked six goals, one. You gave a sitter off to Peter Matera. But that one behind in the first half, I mean, this is that was enough for your mum to get a phone call at half time on the day, wasn't it? Unbelievably. Yeah, it was. Look, uh, mum and dad came to the 91 grand final and they were disappointed. So the 92, they said they're not going to go because they, they thought they might jinx us. So... So they stayed home, and yeah, I, I kicked. I think it was um, two goals in the in the first half, and I kicked one point. Yeah, it was uh, in the first quarter, I think, um, or second quarter. And then at half time, yeah, back then you could you had the phone book, so you could just look up a name and and ring that phone number. And and someone rang my uh, mum and dad's uh, home number, and of course mum answered it and and got abused. Um, for me saying that, um, yeah, your son's going to cost us the grand final. He can't kick. He's hopeless. Jeez. He shouldn't be in the side because he's going to cost us the grand. So he had someone on the phone just severe. And mum got off and she was crying and, and all that. And, um, you know, she put the phone down before dad could get to it. So. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that, that's just the way it was back then. You, 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 you get the accolades and you get uh, criticised at times. Yeah, I guess the equivalent of that nowadays, somewhere is a tweet or an Instagram post about someone's multi getting buggered up. So it just hasn't changed. Just the, the, the way it's delivered has changed. It was shocking. Hey, that dominant period for West Coast, flags in 92, 94, a lost grand final, 91, when the side had lost only three times, I think, in the home and away season that year. So... Uh, was 91 the one one that got away, do you think? Or was it 1993 when you didn't quite get there? I reckon it was 93. Uh, 91, we were the best side all year, no no doubt, uh, by far. But but Hawthorne, you can't take anything away from them. They were the best side on the day when it counted. And, and we, had, we, we didn't match them. So, you know, we had a great year. But on the day, Hawthorne too good. Um, 93... Um, we fell asleep at the wheel a bit, um, got going. Um, it, it was the, the year where, remember, we won our final here and we should have played Essendon back at home, but because of the contract with the MCG, oh, yeah. um, we had to play Essendon at the MCG and then we lost by three points. Now, I, I got no doubt that, that game was played at Subi. Uh, we win that and I reckon we go very close to winning the grand final, if not win it. Um, because we got going very late in the season and we were on a roll and, and we knew we had the side. But, um, you know, the, the baby bombers uh, just got us at the MCG by three points where we, we should have been playing that game at home. Jeez, and I know it happened to the Brisbane Lions as well over the uh, over the journey more recently to that. But, gee, we talk about the road trips. Those MCG contracts were absolutely amazing at the time, and thankfully they've changed now for the better. We're talking to Peter Sumich on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. After this, well, the day Peter's life flashed before his eyes. That's next. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Peter Sumich is our guest today. Peter, it's 94. You're playing the then Footscray at Subiaco Oval, round 24, I think, and there's a fight on the boundary line at half time. and uh, Stephen Wallace has picked off uh, your teammate Brett Hetty before that. Now, you're grabbed in a headlock by Danny Southern. I know this is not an incident you enjoy dwelling on, so we won't, other than to say... This is a pretty, well, probably a very scary moment in in your career, in your life. Yeah, look, it was. It, it was, um, you know, something that it, you're going into a a, a bit of a, a melee and a, and a brawl. And I had my head down just trying to pull people off. And then uh, Danny got me from behind and got me in in a pretty good headlock. Um, and then he got me to the ground, still in that headlock, and, and was going really tight with it. And I thought, oh... Jeez, and he tried to get out of it, but I thought, geez, no, you've got me too good here. I, I can't, you can't bunch here. So you give it the old tap out. So I, you know, I thought I'd, I'd tap him on the arm and virtually say, mate, that's enough. You got me. And he actually went tighter. And next, you know, I thought oh, I'm finished. I'm gone. You know, and um, I woke up in the change rooms. I had a, a crying wife. Um, you know, over my uh, bed there, and I had uh, my old man going off his head. He wanted to kill him. He wanted to run out there and go and get him. And um, you know, they had to hold him back. And and my wife, like I said, was in tears. I didn't know really what was going on because I, I blacked out out on the oval and woke up in the change room. So yeah, it was a scary moment. But um, you know, those things happen in, on a football field. But uh, well, they shouldn't happen. But um, Back then, uh, that's what happens with uh, with brawls and that. You don't, you wouldn't see that now. It, it's incredible to reflect on it because you were one of the ten or eleven cited for the melee. So you had to go to the tribunal too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. We <laughs> went that and got fined, and there was about yeah ten or eleven of us, and it, it interrupted our our finals uh, campaign a little bit, or no doubt, because um, we played Collingwood and just won, and we should have smashed them, but. You know, we we're all off the off the bit at that that stage. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, did bad interruption. Now the incident is something that uh, you know Danny Southern's on record as saying multiple times. Had stayed with him for a long time, troubled him for a long time. Something he was embarrassed about, but just didn't quite have the nerve to apologise or confront you. Or well, the time wasn't right. But there was a beautiful moment a couple of years ago, wasn't there? And some twenty four hours after the incident, when when Danny finally approached you at the Fremantle Markets, and uh, he actually gave you a hug, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Look, we we were just sitting there. I was sitting there with a mate of mine. We we're having a feed, and and I got a tap on the shoulder, and I look up, and and there was Danny, and he said, "Summer, how you going?" And mate, I just want to apologise, and you know, talk about that incident. I'm, so, you know, all that type of stuff. And I, I got a bit. I said, "Look, Danny, don't worry about it. All good, mate." I said, "Yeah, you know, time heals everything. Um, not a problem." And you know, and I stood up, and then he, he said, "Can I give you a hug?" And uh, we just had a hug, and we got a photo together, and yeah, it went around. I think on Twitter and all that, but um, yeah, it, it was it was brave by him. I, I, I give him credit, you know, because I look not that I've tried to get in contact with him. I always thought if I ever come across him, you know, say hello and see what you know, chew the fat a little bit over it and uh, have a chat about it. But he made the approach, and and good on him, and and we we. Buried everything there and then, and um, you know we're good friends now, and there's no issues. Uh, it's nice, nice to hear. And 
you were a young retiree, weren't you, Summer? I think you were 29 when you walked away after West Coast were eliminated from the 97 final series at the hands of Adelaide. Why Why so young? Um, I, I, I had enough. I, I think I was one of those players that uh, I was criticised probably a fair bit uh, throughout my career. And, you know, I got a lot of accolades and I, I, I loved every moment of it, but I, I did get criticised a fair bit because of the, probably the position I played and expectations and 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 my uh, my demeanour was always a little bit laid back and and that's the way I was and it, it just probably got to me a bit and I thought well I've done well I've done everything I wanted to to do and you know I, I was fortunate to play in in three grand finals win two you know I was fortunate to kick under goals. Um, no other individual medals worried me. Um, in that sense, it was all about the team. So to play in those couple of premierships, I thought, that's enough. Time to move on to the next phase. You played in an era that was chock full of big time and big performing and, and big ego, full forward, so to speak, which meant there were some bloody tough fullbacks to play on as well. Who did you have the most trouble with somewhere over the journey? Oh, look, the hardest one that, it was no doubt was Stephen Silvani and, and not far behind him was Chris Langford. Those two were always um, difficult to beat. And and then you had Mick Martin, um, you know, Danny Frawley, not far behind them two as well. Um, so, yeah, you're talking some quality fullbacks just there. But, yeah, those two, for me, were, always gave me trouble. Um, and But, yeah, you had quality fullbacks, but you had quality full forwards. And that's probably why... The 80s and 90s was such a, a good era, I reckon, for football because plenty of goals scored. And then on, on the flip side, you've seen some great defensive skills going around with full backs and centre backs running around. Now, this might be a bit of a tough one and an unfair one to put to you because you played in so many good sides. And as we said, a couple of premierships along the way and a grand final uh, on top of that that you lost. But the most talented player that you played with, Summer. Oh, look, it, it, it's got to be um, Peter Matera, um, you know, and, and not far behind him is Dean Kemp. So yep. um, those two, for me, were, were just unbelievable. There was a player, uh, if you're talking about, so they they were midfielders, and I, I haven't seen a, a bloke handle the footy like Peter and, and Dean Kemp. But um, if you're talking a tall player, and, and some people might, Remember him, Stephen Jackson. Yeah, he played with us and then went to Richmond. I've never seen a, a, a tall player, six foot three, six foot four, handle a footy like he did ever. Um, he had more talent oozing out of him than I've ever seen, and he was the most talented tall footballer. I don't care what anyone says that I've seen ever. He, he was unbelievable, but unfortunately, he just didn't have the drive to push himself to mm. to probably get fit enough to to execute all that. Peter Sumich, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up today. You played, obviously, a huge role in the first two premierships in West Coast history, and your goal-kicking record clearly speaks for itself. Your performances live on in the hearts and minds of Eagles supporters, and your contribution to the game post-retirement has been significant. Well done on all you achieved. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. 
It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.